Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right. Hey, good morning. First, I want to begin by talking about this old uh, preacher story that I, I once heard. And it goes like this. There was this, this husband and his wife, and they were in the kitchen. And the husband, he's sitting at the kitchen table, and he's reading this old thing called a newspaper. Right? He's, he's thumbing through the newspaper while his wife was preparing a roast for dinner. The husband watched the wife cut off about an inch of the roast on either end cut off an inch and just tossed it away. And he asked why she cut off the end, proclaiming that it was a waste of of good meat and a waste of money. She said, "Uh, that's just the way that my mom prepared a roast. She always cut off about an inch from either end and tossed it away. The husband asked, why did your mom cut off the ends of the roast? The wife didn't know. So later, intrigued, she, she called her mom to find out why she cut off the ends of the roast. And her mom said, because that was the way my mom prepared a roast. But I don't know why she did it. So the, the, the original wife's grandma passed away several, several years earlier, but her, her grandpa was still living. So she called her grandpa. She said, Grandpa, why did grandma cut off the ends of the roast when she cooked it? Now, he was silent for a moment as he thought about it. Then he replied, so the roast could fit into the pan. <laughs> right? Look, look I, I wonder this all the time. Right? Not, not why we cut up roast, but, but I, I wonder this all the time. Why do we do the things we do? Right? Why do we do the different things that we do? Right? I mean, have you ever stopped to ask, what is the point of cutting the ends off of the roast? Or, or what is the point of whatever activity we're doing, right? You know, every time my wife, Christina, packs for a trip, there's always this, what I would like to call a passionate discussion about her packing strategy, right? No matter where she is going or where we're going together, she's, she's always going to bring a ridiculous amount of clothes and stuff with her. Right? We could be going away for a simple three days, and somehow she rolls out of the bedroom with a suitcase the size of our car. And she's saying, I think I got everything. And I reply, you think? Right? You think you got everything? Right? One day I asked her about her packing strategy. And, men, I don't recommend this. Right? I took one for the team, and I, I asked her that day, why uh, are you packing 20 pairs of pants for a long weekend? Like, why are you packing so many pairs of pants into your suitcase? Right? I only packed two pairs of underpants, but yet you got 20 pairs of jeans. I asked her, are, are you expecting to spill a lot of drinks this weekend? Are you not feeling well, and so you're, you're expecting to have a lot of accidents? Like... Uh, is your goal to wear everything that you own in this one weekend? What's the point of all of these clothes? Now, my wife, Christina, she's the smartest person I know, so I'm sure you're expecting a well-thought-out answer with some tips and, and maybe a few pointers as to the brilliance of her packing strategy. No. <laughs> right? When I asked her what the point was, right, what, what the deal was, she looked at me, she rolled her eyes, I might add, and she said this, you don't need to know the point, you just need to carry the bag. 
right? <laughs> you don't need to know the point. You just need to carry the bag. Now, she wasn't wrong, but she wasn't very helpful either. Right? She wasn't very helpful. All right, for the, for the last couple of weeks, let's, let's zone in here. For the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, kind of working through a series of sermons that we're calling Follow. Right? We're calling follow, looking at the, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, and seeing how Jesus calls us to follow him above all else. Right? And in it, we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. In the first week, we learned this. We learned that being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. It's a prerequisite. Whoa. Right? <laughs> right? And then last week, we learned that following Jesus always starts with a little bit of information because God can handle our questions and our doubts, our worries, our concerns. So we just need to take that first step with him. And today, this morning, we're going to ask what I asked Christina when she was packing her entire wardrobe into one carry-on suitcase, or what the husband asked his wife about cutting the ends off the roast, right? We're going to ask, what is the point? Or better yet, right, why should we follow Jesus? Right? Well, what's the reason? What's the purpose? What is the end goal? What is the, the result? What is the payoff? What is the, the reward? Or what is the promise, if any? Right? If you decided today uh, to surrender your life uh, to Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, to forge your life on God, what would be the point? And that's what we're looking at, right? What would the pot of gold, since it's March, right? What would be the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Rainbow. Can't speak today. Woo, right? That is the onion that we need to peel this morning, today. And I think by the time that we're finished, we'll see that the why, right, the why of all of this is probably not what we think it was, Right? But the why is all over the pages of the Gospels if we just kind of pay attention to it. Right? We're going to be looking at a bunch of different stories today, but the, the one that I want to focus on is in the book of Matthew. So turn with me to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in the 10th chapter. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats that are in front of you. And you can take those with you. They are free for you to have, to use, to take, to give away. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, the very first chapter, of, or the very first book of the, the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10. You can also download the Foundry Burke app by scanning that QR code uh, that is on the uh, seats behind you or in front of you. Scan that code. Uh, the, the free Foundry Burke app with all the announcements and sign-ups and sermons and podcasts. Also, there's a Bible tab on there, and today's scripture is pulled up there for you. But I also want to make a plug for YouVersion. All right, YouVersion is another app that you can download on your phone, and you can have devotions on there. You can have uh, Bible studies on there with friends. You can have all the different translations of the Bible. It's free. So as you're doing that, grabbing a Bible, downloading one of the apps... All right, before we dive in, and as you're turning to Matthew chapter 10, all right, let me give you a little bit of background. Let me serve this up, right? Jesus had three groups of people that followed him everywhere. Right? Jesus had three groups of people that followed him everywhere. The, the first group were people that lived in the town wherever he showed up. 
right? They, they were the townspeople. They would, um, him and Jesus and his disciples would show up to a town. The people, the locals would show up and they would follow him around the town as he, as he taught and as he healed and as he did different things. And then when he left the town, all of those people would just go back home. That's the first group. Right, the, the, the second group of people uh, that followed Jesus would be the, uh, the group of people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Right? Some, some of the friends of Jesus. Right? A, a big group of friends and followers of Jesus. Right? They were a group of people that whenever they could, they went where Jesus went. Because of what he taught and because of what he did. Right? And he included them. And then the third group was his inner circle, right? the disciples. They were his closest followers, his ride or die, his squad, right? And so one day Jesus gathered a whole bunch of his friends together and he chose his 12 disciples. Right? These are the famous guys that you probably heard of. Matthew, Peter, Judas, Bartholomew, right? right? These would be the guys that he would entrust his message and ministry to. And now, in that day and age, this is very common, right? And some of us, we even do this today, don't we? Right? We, we have a large group of friends, right? Like, like myself, I have a large group of friends, and then I have my best buds, right? We, we call ourselves the horsemen, right? And you do this too, right? You have your friends, and then you have your best friends, your closest friends. You might not be as cool as me and my friends, and you don't have a name, but you can dream too, right? Right. Jesus has chosen these 12 men, and he says, now that you're a part of my inner circle, that you're my horsemen, right, let me tell you what we're going to be doing. I'm going to send you out with a message that I have. Right? I'm going to empower you to do the same things that I'm doing. I'm going to empower you to teach in the same way and in the same things that I'm teaching. And he says, here is where you're going to go. All right? And this is how long you should stay. And then he says, here's how much money you should take with you. And, and here's what you should wear. And here's how many changes of clothes to take. All right? He's listing out all of these details, all of these essentials. And he's going through this list. And, and Matthew's over there. He's writing it down because that's the kind of follower he is. And then Jesus surprises them with what we're about to read in chapter 10. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 17 is where we're going to start. He simply says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves, but beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogue. All right, keep your finger there. Now, can you imagine their faces, right? Can you imagine the disciples' faces, right? Matthew must have immediately stopped writing. He might have looked up at Jesus and said, um, okay, uh, excuse me, what now, right? right? None of them were expecting this. They are really popular right now. That, that first group of people following them around and that second group of people that are with them, it's growing, right? They're really popular right now. There are, are thousands of people everywhere Jesus goes, and the closer you are to Jesus, the more popular you are, and suddenly he is saying, no, it's all going to change, right? 
Jesus says, you're going to be arrested. You're, you're going to be uh, beat up. Right? And this is a big deal. Right? Flogged in the synagogue. Right? People die from flogging. And, it does not, and, and that does not happen. If that doesn't happen, at the very least, right, it's going to be a permanent mark left on you. Right? You know how we go to the court and we have a ticket and we go to court and we have this traffic ticket on our record and we get it expunged and nobody knows the better. Right? They don't know about it. Right? When, when you get flogged, like Jesus is talking about here, you have a permanent record. You just do. Right? Every time you, you go to the beach, it's like sun out, guns out type of weather. And you take your shirt off. There's this permanent record on your back that everyone can see. And Jesus is saying, now that you're following me, you get a flogging. Right? The, the disciples at, at this point are probably looking around like, um, I'm not so sure about this. Right? So, so let's just keep reading and see what happens. Right? Verses 18 through 19. Read it with me here. Look at, look at it with me here. It says, you will stand trial. This is Jesus talking. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. All right? Jesus does not stop with the flogging. Okay? He says, when you get arrested, not if, but when you get arrested, here is what's going to happen. Right? Now, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but, but I, I can tell you what I would be thinking. Right? I would be thinking, I, I'm not worried about what to say or not to say. I'm more worried about the chains that are on my wrist and are on my ankles. Right? I would be thinking, well, I'm too pretty for jail. Right? <laughs> And they're probably thinking, well, we don't want to be given what to say. We want to be given a, a, a jail-free pass, a free card. Right? Jesus, you didn't tell us this part. Right? You said, who wants to be in my inner circle? And, and we raised your, our hands, and, and we were so excited, and now you're telling us we're going to be arrested, and we're going to be flogged. Not cool, man. Right? But, it, but it gets even better. Right? Jesus just keeps going. Verses uh, 19. Let's read 19 again in verse 20 this time. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. All right, now, if they, the disciples, are anything like me, They've got to be thinking, okay, 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 wait, wait a minute. Right? We're kind of going a little fast here, right? right so, so we are going to be arrested, we're going to be flogged, we're going to be put on trial, and you're saying that in the middle of this trial, God, the Father, God, the, the Spirit, is going to be involved. Great. A few questions, though. This is what I would be saying and be thinking, right? If God is involved and he knew about my arrest and that I'm going to be flogged, why doesn't he just free me? Or even better, right, Jesus, why not just keep me from being arrested in the first place? 
I, I mean, I, I know you're telling me I, that I need to have confidence and, and not be afraid because God the Father, God the Spirit is involved, but, but that is not exactly how I want God to be involved. Just an idea, Jesus. And that's what I would say. Right? But Jesus, he just keeps going with this. Look at, look at verse 21 through 22. A brother will betray his brother to death. He says, a father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them, right, and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. All right, now at this point, right, at this point, they got to be thinking now, okay, we get it. We understand. You're sending us out. You've told us how to do it, what to bring, what to do, right? You're sending us out, and it's going to be hard. It's not going to be fun, right? We can move on, right? We get it, Jesus. But if we look, if we keep reading, he just keeps going, right? And, and you can read it. He just keeps going verse after verse. But then, but then Jesus gets to the end, and he, he brings us to this, this strange place that he wants to bring us all to personally, even today, right? He brings us to this tension that we have already wrestled with if you believe in God at all, Right, no matter where you are in that process, like you've already accepted his salvation or you're just trying to figure out who he is, right? this, this tension that things are not always great, not always perfect when you are following Jesus. Right? That tension. Right? Sometimes things are hard and Jesus is guaranteeing the bad things for his disciples. Right, he's naming them one after another after another. And if you, if you read the book of Acts, all of these things happen to these men. Right, but he, he ends this by saying all of this, by saying this. Jump down to verse 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Right? The, the disciples, they hear this and they're, they're probably looking at him thinking, but Jesus, you, you, you said we're going to be arrested. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. And when you're arrested, do not be afraid. Right? The disciples say, you said we're going to be beaten and we're going to be flogged. Right? And when you're beaten and flogged, do not be afraid, Jesus says. Right, the, the disciples, they say, we're going to go on trial for our lives and perhaps everybody, everybody's going to turn against us. And Jesus is like, yeah. And in the midst of all that, do not be afraid. Right, Foundry Church. And I want, you to, I want you to lean in and grab a hold of this truth. Right, this is Jesus introducing them, these disciples, and us today to the whole point of this thing. Right? And this is so good, right? Look, go ahead and throw that up there, right? Following Jesus takes us to a place where our faith in God is so big and so strong, right? It's so big and so strong where we feel so secure in our Father's love and power, even in the midst of circumstances where it looks like our God has forgotten us, we hear him whisper, fear not, I'm with you. Fear not, 
I am with you. Over and over again in Scripture, we hear Jesus and God saying, Do not be afraid, fear not. Do not be afraid, fear not. The point of following Jesus was not so bad things won't happen anymore. Right? It was not so that we would know exactly what steps to take with every decision of our life in order to achieve success. It was not about hiding out in fear of this world and all that's going on in it. Look, right? right? Following Jesus always points us to the unexpected. Following Jesus always points us to the unexpected, and that's, that's what we're learning here in this series. Right? Following Jesus is never a leisurely stroll down a path at Burke Lake Park. Right? It's an unexpected, a wild journey up and down mountain paths and canyon, canyon valleys. It's a, it's a crazy ride. Right, Full of ups and downs, hills and valleys. All the while God is whispering to us, fear not. I have you right where I want you. You're on my path. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Right, Following Jesus is not a macaroni necklace uh, project, right? It is the hard work of hammering metal to an anvil. And sometimes you hit your stinking thumb and it stinks and it hurts. But sometimes you come out with a beautiful metal piece of art. Sometimes you have to melt it down and you start over again. Because that's what God wants you to do. Whatever it is, it is definitely not expected. And so with the... In a little bit of time that we have left, real quick, I want to take the story that we just read and where it left us, like, left us off and, and dispel some of those expected things we think will happen when we follow Jesus. Right? Because, again, right, following Jesus always points us to the unexpected. Right? That is why uh, right, he says our, our, uh, over and over like, to fear not. Right? To, to, to not be afraid, to be strong, to be courageous, right? And I want to be the type of church gathering, the type of church or group where we welcome that authenticity and tell the truth of following Jesus, right? Because for most of us, if we get comfortable or at the beginning of our relationship with God, the first thing that came to mind when we say following Jesus is, is becoming a better person. That's what comes to mind. That is the expected not the unexpected, right? We think we'll, we'll, we'll forgive quicker. We'll be more generous, more loving, more kind. And we won't worry about some of the things that perhaps worried us in the past. We think Jesus said, follow me. And you'll be a better father, a better a mother, a better student, a better husband, a better wife, a better fill in the blank, Right? Right, but, but, but here's the thing. In the verses, in the story that we just read, right, that is not what we hear. Right? Right, we hear about families turning on one another, uh, brothers betraying each other. Right? This is not a Norman Rockwell painting right, that we're looking at here. So here's the, uh, the thing about following Jesus, the unexpected thing, the first unexpected thing. Right? It's not about becoming a better person but living in the presence of a bigger God. Not about becoming a better person, but living in the presence of a bigger God. 
Right? Jesus had pulled together his closest followers, and they were some pretty rough people. And he looks at each of them in the eye, and he says, if you listen to me, you'll be the best tax collector there ever was. Right? You'll be the best son who ever had parents if you listen to me. Right? If you follow me, well, watch out, fishermen. These guys are going to catch all the fish and start a company called Chicken of the Sea, and the rest will be history. He doesn't do that, does he? Not at all, right? right? Jesus pulls together his closest followers in a huddle, and he says, follow me, and God will be with you. Fear not, because you're going to go to some deep and heavy places. Because I have an important task for you. Right? Your, your problems are going to be big, but God will be with you. Fear not. Now, uh, Thursday nights, for the last couple Thursdays and the, the remaining Thursdays leading up to Monday, Thursday, Thursday, our worship service here at the church uh, that we're having the Thursday before Easter, uh, we've been meeting together. Just anybody who wants to come to gather together, to pray together with one another and for each other and for the church and for our world, just from 7.30 to 8.15, just a moment of prayer, a time of prayer. And, and this last week, Christina, she shared an illustration about her parents, and I'm going to steal it, so thank you. She talked about how her parents were both public school teachers, so they were not exactly raking in the dough, if you know what I mean. Right, Christina and her sister Diana may not have always had the best of everything, right? The newest clothes, the newest computer, and they didn't have cell phones back then, but you get my drift, right? right? But, but here's what she did have, she said. The presence of her parents. Right? The, the presence of her parents. And I can say that about my mom and dad as well. I had their presence, right? I, I cannot tell you what I got for Christmas my junior year of high school. But I do remember my dad driving me to a wrestling tournament and then driving all night, and I mean all night, to get me back to church on Sunday morning where he had to stand up and preach three services where I could go take a nap after the first one, right? right? Not because he had to be there, right, but because he wanted me to be there. Right, and if he could not get me back to church by, by 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, he made the hard and the right call of having me miss the tournament and to be in church worshiping. And he would model to me how to worship even when I didn't feel like it because I was mad at my mom and dad for not letting me go to the wrestling tournament. He was there, right? right? He, he, was, he was there, and Christina's parents were there, and that is what God is saying to his followers. You may not always have the nicest things, or you may not be doing what you think you're going to be doing. Right? You're not always going to be a fisherman, right? Fishing for fish. You're going to be a fisherman for men, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? You may not be doing whatever you want. You may not always be experiencing the best there is, but I will be there, he says. Fear not. That's what he's saying. He says, you, you may be in prison, <laughs> getting flogged, getting beat. You might be a little unpopular at school or unpopular in your mom's group or, or not promoted at work, but I'm bigger than all of that. I am with you. Fear not. A life forged on me is your best life. That's what he's saying. Because it is a life that is connected with me, a relationship with me. Now listen, don't get me wrong here, right? 
Because I can guarantee that you will be a better friend, a better wife, father, person in general if you follow Jesus. But that's not the point. Right? The, the point is that we are in the presence of the God of the universe. That's the point. And the only reason that we become better is because we are in the presence of the best that there ever was. So that's the first unexpected thing, right? Not becoming a better person, but living in the presence of a bigger God. And we can fear not when we go with him on mission into the world. Now the the, the other thing, the second thing, let me set it up like this. right? In the, the story that we read, Jesus is sitting with his closest friends, right? And he does not mention heaven. He doesn't mention heaven except when describing their father, Father God, in heaven. And in this, it's not just in this story, right? When we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We don't find Jesus saying, follow me so you can go to heaven. All right? We don't see that. In fact, there's almost nowhere where Jesus talks about going to heaven. He talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But clearly, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the theme of his ministry, the, the, the theme of follow me, had nothing to do with where we spend eternity. In fact, right, there's this really strange story that you might be familiar with where he talks to this one guy who was not a follower of Jesus, and he basically promises him, heaven right do you you remember this right Jesus was crucified and there's this guy next to him on another cross being crucified himself and Jesus turns to him and says today I'll be with you in paradise and this guy had no opportunity to follow Jesus none right in fact he admitted that he deserved to be crucified which is almost unbelievable Right? That someone would say, I deserve to be punished in this manner. Right? He was so bad, and he, he did not follow Jesus one, one minute of his life, but somehow there at the very, very, very end, he recognizes who Jesus is, and Jesus says, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And what it means and this may make us a little uncomfortable or it may set us free, right? It basically means that you can, you can live your life any way that you want, and if at the last minute, and I mean at the very last minute, you say, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I do. I believe in Jesus. How about you? And, and you're, you're dunked, right? You're dunked in the water with a preacher in a robe, and you come out, and there's this choir singing, now I've decided to follow Jesus. There's a chance that you're going to be in paradise, Right? I mean, this guy did nothing good, and Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. So here's the truth, a second unexpected truth of following Jesus. Following Jesus is not an equation for heaven tomorrow, but a confidence in today. All right, let me, let me explain this, guys. This is hard, right? Following Jesus is not an equation for heaven tomorrow, but a confidence in today. When Jesus is talking to his disciples about what they will go through, he does not mention the good stuff that heaven will bring. Right? He doesn't say, do this, do these things, suffer these things, do X, Y, and Z, do this hard stuff, and then you'll be with me in heaven. He doesn't say that. 
right? That's not how God works, right? Following Jesus is not a math equation, right? Which, thank God, the Lord God Almighty, right? Because we would be in a lot of trouble if it were, at least I would be. No, Jesus says, following me leads to an undeniable, undeniable confidence in God's presence today. Fear not. That's why we want it. Right in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of the sermon, Jesus says this. I I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. And you say, Andrew, but you don't know what it's like. I just want to make sure I'm getting to heaven. Right? Listen, I get it. Right? Over the, the, the past couple of years, I have repeatedly said, okay, anytime now, Lord. I'm, I'm ready for heaven. I want to go home because this place is a mess. I'm, I'm tired of dealing with these fools. I can't do it anymore. Come, Lord Jesus, come has been my battle cry. But listen, that is not the point of following Jesus. One of my, my favorite ministers recently said this, Rich uh, Valdez said, even if the Lord's prayer, even in the Lord's prayer, Jesus clearly wants his followers to be more concerned with God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven than with getting out of earth into heaven. Church, we need to get out of the evacuation mindset. And we need to get into the infiltration one. We need to get out of the evacuation mindset and into the infiltration run. We need to infiltrate behind enemy lines, and we need to do some damage. We need to lay the hammer down. The world is a mess. I get it, believe me, but we are not placed here just to sit and wait for evacuation. This is not a staging area for heaven. Here today, right now, if we are following Jesus, just like we sang about, if we have breath in our lungs, it is our job to infiltrate, to bring his kingdom here, to love like Jesus loved, to to care like Jesus did, right? To to listen like Jesus did, to eat dinner with people like Jesus did, to, to infiltrate this place, to change this place, to bring Jesus to this place, to bring the kingdom here. Telling people and reminding people, fear not, God is available to you. That God is here. He's with you. And Jesus promises it's not always going to be a pleasant experience, but it will be an experience with God at our side. Different way of thinking. Now that was the second all right, following Jesus is not an equation for heaven tomorrow, but a, a confidence in today. The uh, other unexpected thing, I, I, I like to explain it like this. When we follow Jesus, it's not magic, right? Now you'd be thinking, well, duh, I know this. I didn't even read Harry Potter. Well, first of all, side note, you should because it's really good. All right, but, but here is what I'm talking about. Anytime somebody says, if you do these three things, you can always expect this outcome, right? Or, you know, if you pray this prayer, if you, if you touch this cross, if you repeat after me, if you do this kind of thing, if you memorize this thing, right, if you pray a certain way, hold your mouth a certain way, I guarantee you that God is going to do something for you. That's not Christianity, right? 
That, that, that is not following Jesus. That's, that's magic. Magic is you do something a certain way all the time, and certain results happen because of that. Now, here's the deal with magic. Right? All magic works some of the time. Right? All magic, all good luck, charms, you know, the, uh, crossing your fingers, you know, like counting to, to ten, whatever it is, magic works some of the time. And unfortunately for some of us, we were raised in a Christian environment where magic thinking got mixed in with Jesus thinking. And next thing we know is that we're trying to do things a certain way to get God to, to bless us, to get God to give us a charmed and lucky life. A life with nothing to fear or, or with nothing to worry about. But Jesus literally lists out all the things that are coming in the way of the disciples if they follow him. And there's a lot to be afraid of. So here's the third unexpected truth, right? Following Jesus is not about magic, right? But a faith that overwhelms fear. Right, following uh, Jesus is not uh, magic, but a faith that overwhelms fear. Man, that's what we're talking about, right? right one day, Jesus, he's with his, his disciples. Uh, they're in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, he's asleep in the boat, and the storm blows in uh, through the valley because of the sea is surrounded by these high mountains. And this storm, it just comes in hard and fast. Now, four of these guys in the boat, they're fishermen, so you would think that this would be no big deal. But they're freaking out. Right? They're losing their minds. Right? They're going crazy, so they decide to wake up Jesus. And in the Greek, it's really funny because Peter actually says to Jesus, Help! We're going to perish to death. Don't you care that we're perishing to death? <laughs> you got to love Peter. Right? He's kind of dramatic. Anyway, Jesus, he wakes up, he calms the storm, and look what he said to them. He says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Jesus is like, I know, I know there's a storm. I know the boat's filling with water. I know like only four of you know how to swim. But why were you afraid, and why did you think it was a good idea to wake me up? Right? He doesn't say, well... Why didn't you just say three uh, of the Lord's prayers or a Hail Mary? Why didn't you sing Amazing Grace? Why didn't you just turn around three times and touch your toes? He says, why were you afraid? In other words, he is saying, I was right there. I was with you. Why didn't you have faith in my presence? And isn't it interesting what happens next? In the Gospel of Mark, his telling of this story, after Jesus calms the storms, it says that the disciples were terrified. <laughs> that they were terrified. In other words, their fear of the storm was like right here, right? Just like neck deep in it. They were terrified. But their fear, uh, their fear of Jesus after he calmed the storm was like way up here, <laughs> right? Like, whoa. Right, suddenly they got a picture of what it means to fear the one that can control the destiny of the soul and refuse to fear anyone or anybody or anything that can only do harm to your body like we read about in Matthew. Right, in that moment they got a snapshot of what it means when Jesus says, fear not because your heavenly father knows what you need. 
These disciples, they finally had faith that they could, they could be in a terrifying, fearful, uh, scream-inducing circumstance and still not fear. <laughs> and that foundry church, that foundry church is what the point of following Jesus is, a faith that overwhelms fear. You might be asking, of all the things, why didn't Jesus just say, follow me and I'll make you a better person? Right, that would be good. Or you might be thinking, why didn't he just say, follow me and I'll get you into heaven, I know a guy. <laughs> or, or why didn't he tie the whole thing down to how you know some sort of magic formula? Right, why would he tie it to a big God that is present and overwhelms fear? Why do we got to go through the fear? Right, why does following Jesus mean trusting that God knows your name and God loves you in spite of what you see going on around you and in your life and in your situations? Why would that be the end game? Why would that be the goal? Why would that be the one thing? The band comes back up. I think it boils down to this. And John, the closest of uh, Jesus' friends, like his, his BFF for life, says this in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. I think it comes down to this. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Right When you get rid of fear, when, when the fear of people who can just hurt you and this life goes away, then all of a sudden your capacity for love opens up so broad that there is no fear left. Fear and love are incompatible. And Jesus says, I have come to love the whole world. And as my followers, I want you to love the whole world as well. Right? And the, the only way to love the whole world is to get rid of the fear of man and to get rid of the fear of people and the things that could hurt you in this life. So Jesus says, follow me and I'm going to teach you not to be afraid even when it seems there's so much to fear. Trouble, hardship persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of the sword are things he lists. But we can just keep going. Joblessness, uh, prodigal children, diminishing health, right? Unfaithful spouses or dishonest bosses, Republicans in the House, Democrats in the Senate, war, Russia, China, whatever it is, he's saying, fear not. Bills, money, next steps. Sending our children off to school, whatever. Fear not. Fear not. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking, and that's okay. You're okay. It's okay. You're thinking, Andrew, I would love to think there is a faith so big that it overwhelms my fear, but I'm not there yet. Hey, me neither. I'm the, I'm the biggest wimp out there. I, I, I fear 
and worry all the time. And that's why Jesus did not say, hey, lesson number one, go apply this and we're done. Right? Right? No, instead he invites us to follow him and try day after day to fear not. Every day our faith begins to grow. And as we forge our life along reliance on God and expand and, and get broader and things we never thought we were able to manage or would be able to manage in our life, are manageable now because we're not alone. See, that is the difference maker. When we follow Jesus, no matter where we are on that spectrum, just taking the first steps and figuring out who he is, or saying, you know what, I've been, I've been following Jesus for 30 years, I'm a little complacent, I need, a, I need to get a little uncomfortable like we talked about, be a little inconvenienced, and, and I need to do something more. Wherever we are in that process, when we follow Jesus, we have faith that overwhelms fear. We have that available to us, not because of our own strength, but because of God who we are following. Because of the God that we're forging our life on from top to the bottom. Look, right? Look at this. The crucial factor in our fearless faith is not our power, but in the presence of our God. Let's worship him. Let's stand and continue to sing praises and honor his holy name.